Today's word is Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. On their return, the apostle told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and then and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need to healing. Now the day began to weary away, wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to him, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, to, said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and then gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God. We are in part six of our series on mercy. And as we were going through this, there's a, a, been a lot of incredibly challenging teachings. Um, it, it challenges about our, our, our place in society. Are you rich or are you poor? It challenges on questions of, of, of need and um, just are, are we even adequate? And then how much? You notice uh, the, the really radical teachings of just how much are we supposed to give? And today, um, we're going to, we're, as we work our way through like important passages in the Gospel of, of Luke um, on the subject of mercy, we're going to hit upon this incredibly important passage, which probably many of you, um, if you grew up in the church, you certainly know this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you, you, know, you know this story, um, you know, this miraculous story that there were 5,000, actually, I mean, there's more than 5,000 people that says there were 5,000 men. That, that means that they didn't even count the women and the children. So there are some, some, some pastors, I, I, I've heard you know, numerous sermons on this passage, say, well, there are probably more like 20,000. Because <laughs> if you have women, then you also have children. And so for every man, if there's a woman, that's like 10. And you've got to think there's probably at least two kids, 20 or maybe more. So... I don't know if the miracle is so much more if there's 20,000 or 5,000. Regardless, you're still talking about a need um, that our provision cannot handle. And what is the provision? The provision is five loaves and two fish feeding thousands. That's, that, that's, that's, the, that's the crux of the story. That's the crux of the story. And um, I want to get into it today in a, in a message that I have entitled um, The Impossible Provision. Okay, so in three parts. Uh, part one, a question of faith. This, 
There are, are, are numerous passages in the Bible, of course, that, that press us on faith. Um, this, is, this is one of the, the biggest, I think. And if you grew up in the church, and this is a nice Sunday school story for you, maybe you've never wrestled with this passage as an adult and what it's supposed to mean for us um, now that you're an adult and you make money and you're trying to live this world and be a follower of Jesus, this is very much an adult passage. It's not a cute Sunday school passage, okay? So part one, a question of faith. Part two, whose work is it? Whose work is it to feed the hungry, to those to offer something to those of people who have need, right? And part three, the great obedience. I want to close with um, a, 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 think, a story and a meditation on obedience, the great obedience. Part one, um, I want to get into this passage by just first saying um, there's a very simple way that the Bible um, teaches what's important, <laughs> and it's all throughout the Bible. Uh, the very simple way the Bible shows us what's important is repetition. That's it. <laughs> I mean, um, if you, when you grew up, your mom, and you, if you heard the same thing, you know, you, you, you heard certain things and you heard it so much, your dad say this thing or your mom say the things, or your coach. Maybe you had a coach, and they said this thing, it became like a mantra. It was like, yeah, yeah, you heard this thing, you heard this thing, you heard this thing. You heard this so much, but the reason they say it again and again and again and again is because it's that important. <laughs> It's so important that it has to be like beaten into our minds. And guess what? Um, this story is repeated. <laughs> um, there are four books in the Bible that are, have typically been called the four Gospels. I mean, don't look at that little, don't get mixed. There is the, me- the core message of the Bible called the Gospel, which is the, the, the proclamation of what Jesus did for us, which we could not do for ourselves. But then there have traditionally been four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which recounts the ministry of Jesus. And, you, you, and for those of you, I don't know how many of you have read the whole Bible or certainly have read all four books of the, all the four Gospels, but if you know that some of the accounts are different in terms of like what stories they tell are different, and some of the stories are the same, you'll know that. And... This story is one of the very, very few that's told in all four Gospels. Do you know that? The feeding of the 5,000 is a miracle that's told in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you don't think that's important, you're like, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting point. Is You know what? Jesus, it's so important that, um, that we get the point of this miracle that he even did this miracle twice. Did you know that? Some people know that there's a feeding of the 5,000. But did you also know that there's a feeding of the 4,000? So there was yet another occasion that he did this. So um, just, just in case you're curious, it's Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9. We're in Luke 9. And, and then John 6. Those are the four occasions of the feeding of the 5,000. Again, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. But then... This is the part, I mean, as I was was prepping this message, do you know that the feeding of the 4,000, so this is the feeding of the 4,000. Matthew 14 teaches us feeding of the 5,000. You just flip over to the very next chapter, and then you get in Matthew 15, feeding of the 4,000. 
In, in, in Mark chapter 6, you get feeding of the 5,000. You don't have to wait very long. You get to Mark chapter 8, the very beginning of Mark 8. I mean, if you, if you guys don't know that, there, the, in, the, in the earliest manuscripts, there is no chapters. Um, the chapters don't get around until, I, I want to say, it's like the, middle, the medieval periods, the Middle Ages, before we get these chapters, that, 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 all these chapters and verses that we know. But, so, if you read, if, if this is being taught out of the, in the ancient codexes, there'd be no chapters, you would just be turned pages, and you wouldn't hit, it wouldn't be very long until you get to the, you went from feeding of 5,000 until you get to the feeding of 4,000. And, and so, Jesus is real. it's very important that you get this. So, let's put, this, let's put it this way. This miracle is not only done, um, re- recorded four times, it's actually taught to us six times. So if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll have hit this miracle six times. That's a lot of repetition in the Bible in a very short space of time. And in Matthew and Mark, they hit it, boom, and then they hit it again. Boom, they hit it, and they hit it again. It's, we're really supposed to get this. And, and if that's not enough, okay, in Mark chapter 8, there's the feeding of the 4,000. And so some scholars sometimes go, well, this is really just the same story, because especially the skeptical scholars, liberals, you know, theologically liberal scholars go, oh, this is just a, a myth. It's a legend. It never really happened. Really? <laughs> and so some scholar back then, some editor got together, and they were confused. And so, you know, we got a, you know, at one point there was a story. It's, it's like a legend, and the legend came down. And usually the people who think this think that the Bible, you know, came down and there was like big gaps. That's all false. It's all false. Um, as, I, as I gave a message last year, that the manuscripts of the Bible compared to the time that the events occurred is incredibly short. It's all within the same lifetime. Eyewitnesses. It's incredibly important. It's not like, it's not like um, Aristotle or like Homer's Iliad, literally like uh, 1,100 years difference between supposedly when the, the Iliad stuff occurred and then, and then when we have the writing. Do you know that? That the, the latest manuscript we have, the Iliad, goes to something like, in, it's still in that time after Jesus, but it's supposed to be something like 800 years before that. So it's nothing like that. So, of course, by then, they are legends. But the Bible's never like that. We are, it, is, it, is, it is telling you about history, and it's handed down through eyewitnesses before it's written down. And so... When you go from Matthew 14 to Matthew 15, we're, we're, that, that's done on purpose. <laughs> now, let me tell you something else. You get to Mark chapter 8. So Jesus, there's this little discussion where Jesus, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And so leaven is not really a, a, something we really understand. Now, I won't get too much into that. Leaven is, um, is, the, is the yeast that makes the bread rise. It's, um, it's something that's not bread, but gets into the bread, but it, then it affects the whole bread. But here Jesus uses it in a negative fashion. Something that's not bread will get into the bread and then corrupt the whole bread. That's what he's saying. You need to be careful of the corruption of the Pharisees that will corrupt you. They have a leaven. It's like a yeast that we're the bread, and it can cup and corrupt you. The, of the elites, of the king, of, of, the, of the governing rulership, that is, Herod. And really what he's saying is, just because they're the smart people or the powerful people or the sophisticated and educated people, you need to be careful about them. But the disciples then, in, in Mark chapter 8, think that he's talking about bread. It's, it's funny. 
It's a, it's a strange and, and almost funny sequence that happens right after the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8. And then, and I'll, I'll read this for you. In Mark, at the end of this, this is verse 19, eight, Mark 8, 19 to 21. He's like, why are you talking about bread? <laughs> verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they remembered. Twelve. Verse 20. And the seven for the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Do you remember there were five loaves and then we fed five thousand? How many were left over? Twelve. Uh, there were twelve baskets full of leftover. And then we took seven loaves. That's, that's how the miracle works. More, most, more, more of us, you know, there's even a song, five loaves and two fishes, right? Everybody remembers five loaves and two fishes, but people don't remember seven loaves for 4,000. But that's what it was. And he says, we used seven for 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And he says, we picked up seven. We had seven baskets full of leftovers. And then Jesus says this in verse 21. He said, and then he said to the disciples, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? That's the question I want to ask us today. This is a miracle that the Bible is trying to beat into our brains six times. And then, to make sure we really, here it is in Mark chapter 8. Then Jesus references both miracles. He's saying straight to the disciples, how many do you have left over? Don't you get it? And that's the question I want to ask us. Do you not yet understand? Do do we not yet understand the point of this, of this story? So um, what am I doing here today? When I say this is a question of faith, part one, there are, there's, a te- there's a temptation, which I think is part of the corruption of the Pharisees, 11 of the Pharisees, as the Bible puts it. And that... When we go out and we're going to go help people, our neighbors, and they have need. And that's what we're, what we're talking about. And what if the need is so great and far beyond what we can provide? Do we only think in terms of what we can do, and then thus only what we can do, that's all we will do? <laughs> is this how we think? And I think if that's how we do things, then we don't believe this miracle. We're not really getting God's word, which is coming at us seven times. That's a lot of repetition. This is something Jesus really, really, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a dad. I'm a dad, and uh, and I'm a pastor, which means I'm also a teacher. And you guys know that there's certain things that I repeat a lot, 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 right? And what, what's, obviously the gospel, I preach that. I, I repeat that all the time, right? Because I really want you to get it. As a father, I say this to my kids. There are certain things, I mean, they know the things that I care about because they just hear me say it, just, you know, ad nauseum. This is a lot of repetition. This is not unimportant. It is so important that we get it. And yet... One of the things I have seen is throughout the church again and again, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty too, we don't get it. <laughs> um, every single time, I looked at every instance, every single time. So I'll, I'll just, let's just, just use uh, Mark chapter 6. In, in, in Luke 9, um, it, it, it's emphasized by saying that um, he was healing and curing their, their sicknesses. 
And in Mark, in Mark chapter 6, uh, it goes like this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. It's the only one that says they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Many of the other um, instances also say they had compassion. In other words, he had mercy on a need. You see the relevance to our series? And he began to teach them many things, verse 35. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is late. So send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, what's their solution? You should just, just get, get them out of here. <laughs> it's getting dark. So, you know, there's some, there's some towns over there. They should go over there and get themselves some dinner, right? Go down to the nearest you know, In-N-Out burger and, and, and grab a little dinner. Verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And this is the part that I always get. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's their answer. Uh, let me translate that. You, a, denaria, a denarius, denarii is, is plural, a denarius is one day's worth of wages. So 200 denarii, okay, so okay, let, let me just translate this into, into modern day, um, 21st century American. Um, if you work 50 weeks a year and you work five days per week, so come on, you guys, you know, 50 times five was what? 250 days. You will work 250. Am I doing that right? 50 times five. So you're going to work 250 days. So what's 200 denarii? It's a lot of money, isn't it? You're talking almost one year's worth of your wages. So think about how much money you make in one year. And then think about roughly 80% of that. Okay, so whatever it is that you make in one year, and I don't know what you make. Some of you make more than others. Um, they say that in Silicon Valley, um, something like the, uh, the, the median household income is like $92,000. So let's just say this is roughly $80,000, okay? 75. So are we supposed to get 75 grand to feed these people one meal? That's what, that's the, that's what they're saying. <laughs> you go get them something to eat. So we're supposed to give them $75,000 to feed them one meal? Are you kidding? Can you hear the, dis, the, the, the um, okay. In John 6, this is, Philip, one of the disciples, says this. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for e each of them to get even a little. So in other words, we can't even give them a real meal if we pull out the 75 grand. So one of his disciples... Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But then, but the other, the other, the other counselor says, but what is that for so many? <laughs> you guys hear that? There is this idea out there that um, the ancient people believed in religion. They believed in this God stuff, you know, because they were, they were just these naive people. They believed in spirits. They just, I mean, we modern people, we know science, <laughs> And since we know science, we don't believe in gullible things like miracle. And only those dumb, naive people who believe in silly things like superstitious religion, they would have believed 
in miracles. But if you actually read the text, do they seem like a bunch of naive people that think, okay, well, you know, well, Jesus is Jesus. I mean, like he heals the blind. And um, this, is, this is interesting. You walk with a man, you go to the guy who's blind from birth, and then you watch him walk away, he can see. You see the person who is a leper. Nobody touches this person. And then you watch utterly smooth and, and, and pristine skin. You've seen this happen before your very eyes. Jesus looks at you and goes, you feed them. And what do they think about? They think about money. <laughs> so do they seem really, oh, they must be a bunch of naive religious people. They just believe in miracles. No, what do they seem like? Don't they just seem just like you and me? <laughs> they are, their reaction is exactly my reaction. It's your reaction. There is a great need. We don't actually think about the great need. We just, we just get all practical because we're like, okay, we, we, got, we don't have anything. <laughs> okay, we have just bare, five loaves and two fish. M- maybe that will feed us and a few, few other folks. And it won't even be all that great of a meal. So, Jesus, can you send them off so that they can go get something to eat? But he has compassion on them. And that's the rub of this passage. That's what this passage is pressing on us. So, when Jesus tells us to do something that's an act of mercy, of a piece of need, a real compassion toward other people. And that me, that calling is demands so much. I mean, it's not even like a little bit more than what we have. <laughs> a little bit more than we have. It's, I mean, what we have is absurdly, <laughs> it's absurdly so small, it's completely impossible. Jesus is saying, Will you believe that I'm calling you to do something? And you don't only really have to go at it with what you got. You'll pull out everything that you got, and you're going to go, <laughs> that's not enough. It's so close to not enough. And do you believe that I'm a God that will give you a provision that you know, you don't think, you know is impossible? Can you believe that? That's what this passage is saying. And it's been asked seven times in the Bible. That's why I'm, I'm emphasizing that so much. You start reading through the Bible, you're like, oh, there it is. Okay, well, let, you know, let's just go do the Sunday school thing. Well, that's the Sunday school thing. And then let's get back into the, you know, now we're like sophisticated adults. Let's go into the real world. But do you remember Jesus says if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter like a kid. Kids believe this miracle happened. But we adults... And we get into the world, and we look at the money, and we go, "This we need X amount of money to do this thing. But that's exactly what these guys said. They, they use exactly the same kind of thinking. And Jesus, this passage is intended to blow that thing up. And ask us, what do you believe? Okay, that's part one. Let's go to part two. There's another question. Um that I'd like to ask. First is, do you, what do you believe? Two is, whose work is it? I want to talk a little bit about mercy. Um, 
when one of those, there are two competing spirits, and I've been saying this in different ways throughout this sermon series. When we're, we're supposed to go and help some hurting neighbor of ours, um, the question is, I want to ask you, is it yours work? Is it my work? Because if we go and do it, guess what? We also get the credit for it too, right? <laughs> this is a, one of the biggest poisons of, of um, our society is self-righteousness. If you go and do something that you know that, is, that other people don't do, what is the first thing that we do? Well, I'm a good person and they're not. <laughs> I do this thing. It's, in fact, it's hard. And so I'm a good person and you're not a good person. And so that's one of the first things that happens. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. That's pretty much. And so... We do have people in our society that give to the poor and sometimes even give great amounts of money to the poor. But then the very next thing that happens is superiority. Right? I think the other important thing, so the first question that this passage, I think, is really pressing us on is, you believe this. Just, it's super basic. But the second question, that it's, I think, it's supposed to raise this. If you actually go and help the poor, and especially in a large-scale way, did you go do it? Was it you? See? I think that's an important question, too. And what if we go and do something that we know is impossible, and we know we can't do it? We cannot do it. With our, with our competence, with our wisdom, with our provision, with our money, with whatever, our, our, our smartness. And we know that that's like, this is the need, is this big? And everything that we bring to the table is about this big. But then God says to go do it. And then what if you go forth and actually, you actually go build the ark? <laughs> That's kind of what I think about it. It's like, right? It's, it's the equivalent of that. And then everybody mocks you because it's a dumb thing to do. And then you see the Lord provide. What will that do to me and you if we start off with not nearly enough and then as you walk, you, you I mean, I, 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 when I was in college, my, my InterVarsity staff leader, he, he gave one of the best sermons I ever heard on this passage. He says, how did it exactly happen? You had five loaves and two fish and then when the boy brings it up and then all of a sudden there's a feast and then there's a buffet line? I mean, how did it happen? Did it like you have a, a loaf and then you break them up? You know, you, you know they, they divide them up and then you go out and then here you give it and then, and then the guy takes off a piece and then he keeps taking off a piece and then he keeps taking off and you're, you're watching this thing happen. He takes off a piece and then, he takes, and then the thing just keeps growing. Where, where, where is this coming from? And if you watch that thing happen right before your face, what will that do to you? Will you start going around thinking, well, I, it was because, you know, I, I'm a deeply compassionate person. No, that's not what will happen. What will happen is, my God is a great God. And I'm along for the ride. And I'm so long. It's This is a strange thing. On the one hand, it's, it's God's work. It's, it's like almost all his work. 
If you have five loaves and two fish, and then what, what, what do the disciples do? They didn't even provide the food. Isn't that funny? A kid provided the food. What do the disciples do? They just passed it out. They just kind of like said, you sit here. You guys sit here. So let's just get kind of organized a little here now. And we'll just pass this thing out. So they didn't provide the food. They didn't provide any money. They just did a little bit of labor. They just got to be the waiters, (laughs) essentially. So what's their part in this incredible piece of mercy It's really, really tiny, isn't it? But this is also interesting. They still have a part. (laughs) That's very important. Jesus said, you go feed them. And by the way, go ahead, go go read through all the passages. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. Matthew chapter 15, Mark 8. If you're, I, I challenge you, go home and do what I did this past week. Read them all. Read them carefully. He always says, you go do it. It's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. He knows you can't do it. He knows it's a completely goofy, ridiculous thing to say. But then he says, go do it. Now, let let me talk about some implications of this passage. Um, We're being called to do something, and we're going to look dumb. You have to take a risk. You have to go do something, and if God doesn't show up, you're going to be embarrassed. I, I mean, at the very least, maybe some people will mock you. Um, I think that's one of the first things that we have to wrestle with. Are you willing to take the risk? I think one of the first things that um, make people um, afraid to obey God and do the things that God tells us to do is we're just afraid to look bad. (laughs) We're afraid. There is an audience of one that tells us to do something, And then there's the audience of all the other people around us. And we're not, so we have both, we have both fears. One is in front of all these other people, we're afraid that they'll think we're, we're foolish. And they'll look down upon us. But the other thing is, the other thing is we're afraid that the guy who told us to do this, you know, the Lord, he might not show up. He might not show up. That's the, we're afraid of both things. So we, we have fear of the faith. I, I don't know if I have enough faith. And what if I don't have enough faith because I don't have enough faith? You know, like, it's, like, it's like faith becomes a piece of performance. Huh. How can it be a piece of performance when it's completely insane? <laughs> there cannot be, there, there's no performance. You can, we, we can never perform this thing. <laughs> so we have no hope of performing this thing. The only thing is, did I hear you right? Let me just, just, just speaking very personally to you. Whenever I think the Lord tells me to do something that I think is impossible, the main thing I, 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 I wrestle with is, you sure? Did I hear you right? Because <laughs> I don't really want to do that. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Because 
Well, because uh, it's hard and because everybody around me will think I'm dumb. It's like, that's hard. That's one of the implications. Let me offer you another one. We, this is a passage that is deeply challenging us to walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. Stop looking at everybody else. Stop looking at what's in your wallet. Stop looking at what you got. I already know you don't have enough. Will you believe me? Will you believe me? That's what the Lord is saying. Will you walk by what you believe about me, not by what you see in your wallet or your resources? Let me put it another way. I'll give you other. Walk by faith, not by sight. That's a great, that's a great, you know, you know, we've heard this and we have songs. We sang the song, the song we sang today. Walk by, you know, like our brother chose that song. I haven't heard, I haven't sang that song in years. It's almost, it's like, it's like a youth group kind of song. But it's a good song. But here's another one. We do God's work in God's way. We do God's work in God's way. And by the way, if we only go out and do the things that are doable, so if we only go out and do things that are doable, because we have the resources to do this thing, then maybe we're not really doing God's work. Maybe we're just doing our work. See what I'm saying? And we're not doing God's work and displaying God's righteousness and God's glory. We're just doing our work, and we're just displaying our righteousness, and then we want our glory. See? It's a big difference there, isn't it? And um, the last uh, implication of this thing is, um, this is really interesting. Uh, we're... We're called to obey what he wants. And I want to point this out. Um, some people, I've heard this thing. So what are we supposed to do? Solve world hunger? I've, I've heard Christians say that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to go out and do this thing, and then we propose doing this thing that's a big thing. It's impossible. And then some of the pushback, I mean, hey, as a pastor, I've literally heard, I won't say who, but a member of this church say to me, so that sounds like a solve world hunger kind of thing. It's like it's the cynical unbelief. Jesus doesn't tell you to solve world. He does not solve world hunger. Okay, when Jesus goes in, do you know that there's like times when there's crowds of people and they're all sick and hurt and he doesn't heal everybody. Do you know that's really interesting? He walks in and, and there's all these people and he doesn't heal everybody. He, he picks like one solitary guy out and he just heals that guy. That's it. And then he walks away. So Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Jesus doesn't solve all problems. Jesus selectively chooses on this moment. So why would the disciples even think it's okay to send them all away? Because they've done it. <laughs> they've done it many times before. They all, people gather around Jesus. He heals them. And then at the end, he, he sends them away. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the assistants. So they probably don't think it's too weird, actually. But in this instance, Jesus says, you feed them. So can you believe a call of God to do God's work that's big and impossible? He, he doesn't say solve world hunger. That's like a man way of thinking. He just I want you to offer something to these people. But that's a lot of people. Yes. Go do it. 
Can you believe that and obey that? Wow. Like that, that's why I think it's sort of like I'm building Noah's ark. <laughs> it, it doesn't rain. Build the ark. <laughs> People mock you for 100 years. They're like, what are you building, Noah, dumb dude? And they weren't laughing when it started raining and raining and raining. See? Let's go to part three, the great obedience. Um, I want to tell you a story, and then I'll share the gospel with you. I'll tell you a story out of this book. Um, last week, I, I told you, two, you know, a couple stories of, of my of two of my spiritual heroes. I'll, I'll go back to the well of one of my important spiritual heroes, Brother Andrew. But do you, do you know how many stories are in this book? <laughs> there are so many absolutely astounding stories in this book. I, I, I could probably keep going to the well of this book many times, but I'll tell you no. So, Brother Andrew, he doesn't, he, he doesn't even know exactly where he's supposed to go. So, he is in that crazy seminary that I told you about last week, where they, they, they um, you know, believe in things like you, you have to, you have, we'll give you five pounds to do ministry, and at the end you have to give the five pounds back, but you can't ask for money. <laughs> you like that. But he goes to, this is, you know, this is post-World War II. Half of Europe is under communist tyranny. It's an atheistic regime. You cannot believe in God. The Bible is outlawed. And, no, they, and so he goes there to see what this is like. I mean, they don't even know what it's like. He goes there to see what it's like. To the darkness of this atheistic society. And then he comes back. And he gets this call from God. I mean, you, you tell the story. To strengthen what is weak. I mean, it's, I think it's very appropriate that I would tell you a story. Because um, Brother Andrew later on started a ministry called Open Doors Ministries. And it's opening doors to the persecuted church. I mean, I, I think it's wonderful that we prayed. I, mean, I didn't plan it this way. It just kind of happened this way. Okay, I mean, I'm not that clever, guys. Okay, it's like, oh, persecuted. We're going to pray for persecuted church. Pastor, as long as you're going to use a persecuted church uh, illustration. No, I'm not, I'm not that clever. It just kind of happened that way, okay? And can you imagine your one man? Nobody else is thinking about this. Literally nobody. It's one man. <laughs> and he goes out there, and he, he grew up with a... He was, he was like this kid that used to ditch church. I mean, if, you know, I won't go into his whole testimony. He did not... He's not one of these kids who loved Jesus, and then he wanted to follow Jesus, and wanted to be... A, and nothing like that. <laughs> he ditched church, was trying to run away from Jesus, but his whole life he saw adventure. And then the Lord started pulling him into these desperately communist countries. And then here's the call. I want you to strengthen these churches. And he started thinking, like, what? they're hungry, but they're hungry not for bread. They're hungry for God's word. Better than bread. And it's being burned and destroyed. The Bibles are being burned and destroyed, and they don't even have them. Some of these countries don't even have them. And um, he's like, how am I supposed to do that? You know, it, God started doing God's work in God's way in some strange ways. Um, first, how's he going to get there? He's a, he's a poor son of a poor blacksmith. He had a neighbor. The neighbors were these godly people called the Wetstras. I think it's the Wetstras, I think in German, right? The Wetstras. And they, 
And they were praying for Andrew, and they could see that something important was happening in this boy that is practically like their nephew who grew up in their neighborhood. But now he's a grown man, a deeply godly man. And, you know, one day they just said, you know, he had this prayer team that, well, one day the guy said, we were praying for you, Andrew, and we have a message for you. And Nocturne said, you need to learn to drive. He's never driven. He's like, what do I need to learn to drive? I'm too poor. I don't own a car. He learned to drive. So then he learned to drive. And right after he learned to drive, the vetstress said, um, the Lord just gave us this new car. It was very, very expensive to have a car. You should own the car. I mean, like today, it's, <laughs> it's so hard to imagine. Think, think, like very few people have owned cars. But the neighbors give him a car. And then he would take that car and take a trip into a communist country and came back. And then he was offered, he was offered, um, he was asked to write for this newsletter. It's a Christian newsletter that goes to churches throughout Europe. Okay? And he's not going to get paid anything. So it's not like, you know, some famous magazine and we'll pay you for this article. It's just, would you write something for our newsletter? And, but it goes around through the country. So he, and he goes, and he didn't know what, he's like, I'm not a writer, what do I do? And he just heard this thing from the Lord, write it. So he would just write what he saw on the other, in the Eastern Bloc countries, the communist countries. He wrote those stories and then it went out. He never asked for money. And then you know what started happening? People then said, what's his address? <laughs> they asked for his address. And then he didn't ask for the money. It just started coming in. <laughs> and he always had, this is really interesting too. The ministry would grow by pieces. <laughs> And he always had just enough money to the next piece of ministry. At one point, he needed to like, he, he saw that a, a big Bible, that he, so that if, but then he saw that it was possible to take that Bible and make it small, but then they would have to print all these things, and it would cost a lot of money. And as soon as that prayer started going out, the money started coming in for that. So it just started growing, growing, growing. You know what it was? The Lord took five loaves and two fish to conquer whole communist empires. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. <laughs> and I'm telling you the story. When I was a boy, I read this thing. I was eight, in eighth grade. And this book taught me about a God that is like the God I read in the Bible. <laughs> and that God is not some dead God from the ancient world. He's this God, today's God. Would you believe in that God? See, Andrew had a great obedience. But it wasn't great because, like, the thing itself was a big thing to do. It really, what it, what it took fundamentally was faith and willingness to take some risk and look a little dumb. But before there was him, there had to be somebody else to have an even bigger obedience. I want you to go down there and strip yourself of all your status. You will look really, really dumb. And in fact, then these really, really dumb and wicked people, then they will strip you down even more and they will crucify you. And you will do this thing. It's far dumber than building an ark. 
it's far dumber than trying to feed 5,000 people. But I want you to obey. And if you obey this, there will be a provision. A provision greater than food, greater than money. And you are going to pay not with money or with bread or fish. You will pay with your blood. And that provision will be enough to offer and to pay an infinite debt for desperately poor people. Would you go believe in this thing and I'll use your blood (laughs) and your foolishness to pay for an impossible provision and infinite debt for so many people. And if that is the Lord that will do this for us, can you and I take a risk and go find out if five loaves and two fish from Jesus is enough to go do God's work God's way? Let's pray. We confess to you, Lord, that we are a fleshly people. And we look at the money. We look at our pocketbook. We look at what we got. And this scares us. It scares me. But I pray that you would take me, my very faltering faith, and you would take this word that was preached today and that is emphasized to us again and again and again throughout Scripture. And you would raise up people who'd be willing to take steps of obedience, real faith, and take real risk, so that the multitudes in our city can receive your grace and mercy. (laughs) And your name would be exalted, not our name, not our glory, but your glory. Not our righteousness, but your righteousness. And not our blessedness, but their blessedness. But of course, it'll actually be, we will be blessed because we'll be poor, but we will be rich in you, Jesus. So give us this faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.